Welcome to the Portland Christian Center Podcast. This week, we'll hear from Pastor Jason Moline on Serving Jesus. Now here is Pastor Jason. Man, did that put the pressure on. Woo! Bring it! <laughs> wow. Hey, just real quick, I just want to show you, this is the seven qualities in our next pastor. This is what it looks like. So they'll be in the back in the lobby, just so you know, to look for this, okay? So see our seven steps, so, uh, our seven qualities. Uh, last night, we had a great event. If you were not able to come with us, it was the men's fire and meat. What better is that? You just get some fire and throw some raw meat and eat. That was it. <laughs> you guys are like, nah, that sounds boring. No, it was great. And I'm telling you, if you did not leave there full, you're either on a diet or you just don't know how to eat because man, we had smoked sausage, you name it, steak, hot dogs, but it was a great event. And I just want to say thanks to the leadership team that really helped me out on that. But um, today we're going to be in Malachi 3, 13 through 18. I'm going to be using the new King James version. So if you have your phone, you could always go there if you want to follow along. But today's message is titled, Is Serving Jesus Worth the Reward? And so before we get started, though, um, what I want to do is I just want to pray that the Holy Spirit will show us areas in our life where maybe we're lacking a little bit or where we're blind to. Um, we're gonna go on a little journey today and we're gonna kind of poke at that. We're gonna poke at those, maybe those little areas that need some refining, but then we're gonna see God's grace kind of cover all of it. And that's the beauty of the gospel. So um, what I'm gonna say this though, is a lot of times when we look at scripture and we hear a sermon, we don't think it applies to our life. We sit there and say, well, my neighbor, they need it. They really need, I bet you got some names in your head right now. You're like, I hope, I hope brother hears this. Let's make it a little awkward. Want to make it a little awkward? Look at your neighbor and just say, you need this today. <laughs> put the pressure on, yeah, put the pressure on. Oh, see, man. <laughs> hey, but follow it up with God loves you, okay? <laughs> All right. All right, friends, let's pray. So Father, I just thank you for your Holy Spirit. I thank you for this wonderful gift that you give us. And Lord, at times it can be hard to have to admit that we have problems or things in our hearts. So Lord, I ask that your, your Holy Spirit will just go and shine and, or show us, Lord, where we need to change so that we may draw closer to you, Father. So I ask, Lord, that I may decrease so that you may increase today in your holy name. Amen. So the book of Malachi was God's wake-up call to the priests and to the people. He also talked to them about how they, he would not abandon them by refer, reaffirming his love for him. And it also shows us how people can lose their fear or reverence or perspective of God when they're going through hard times. And in verse one of chapter, or verse two of chapter one, it says, I have loved you, says the Lord, yet you say, in what way have you loved us? So in other words, what they were saying is, God, you don't love us and you failed us. 
But the truth is God never stopped loving them or never failed them, but they stopped loving God. They were so wrapped up in their sin and their view of their relationship with God was temporal perspective rather than an eternal perspective. So this caused a spiritual decline in their lives and they became indifferent and lost hope of God's love and promises. There was a time in my ministry when I was feeling tired, defeated, and I was losing hope of God's faithfulness. And I started questioning God because I didn't see the results of my dreams and visions that I felt he gave me. I didn't see them moving forward. So I became discouraged and I felt like he abandoned me. I told him, I have been faithful. I've been diligent to you. I'm not seeing fruit. I'm not asking you for much. I'm not asking you to be rich. I'm not asking you to be famous. I'm not asking you to give me all these material things. I'm asking you to just use me in a greater way. But there was nothing. So time went on and I started to feel like I was failing the people. I was hearing about other pastors and churches that were just thriving and doing well. And I started to tell myself, why them and not me? Lord, I have sacrificed and remained faithful to you. But it feels like you're not being faithful to me. I give up time with my family. I have long days and nights missing out on fun. I walk with people in some of the darkest moments of their lives, and I'm trying not to carry this burden and bring it home with me. I have given you my best, but I'm not the person for this. And I started to question my call. And as I sat at my desk, I asked myself, is this worth it? Is giving my all to Jesus worth it? Because I'm tired of feeling like this. I can walk away and my life would be better. But then God would put this little book in front of my life and my perspective would change. The question I wanna ask you today, is serving Jesus worth the reward to you? Can you say that you're giving Jesus your all? And I'm making Pastor Bill wait for the end for the rest of the story. We got to let him feel it, right? <laughs> but my hope today is to show you some different characteristics between two groups of people that face the same decision. Is serving Jesus worth the reward? So we're going to pick up in verse uh, 13 in chapter 3. So you want to read along with me. And we're going to go all the way to 15 says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? You have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we may have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. So the first difference you could write down is that they spoke harsh against God. 13 says, your words have been harsh against me, says the Lord, yet you say, what have we spoken against you? 
So it starts off with the Jewish people complaining and speaking harsh words against God, meaning strong, uh, severe, offensive. Other translations would be that they were arrogant towards God. But they also lost their fear of him. And so our fear, what we think of, is not, oh, Lord, like I need to run and hide because I'm, I'm afraid of you. The definition of fear that we need to look at is that it means to be reverent or awe of his holiness, respecting him, honoring him, obeying and submitting to his commandments, worshiping him with all our life because of his holiness. And then in return, it shows through our lives. So in this passage, the people were, were speaking harshly about him and complaining openly about how their lives were so bad. And so God rebukes them. But because they were so spiritually numb from their sin, sin and they had self-pity and anger towards God, they felt justified blaming God and talking harshly about him. He didn't stop all their problems or hold up to the promises given by other prophets such as Haggai and Zechariah. So they became angry. Have you ever complained or said a harsh word against God? I think most of us would say, I would never do something like that. I couldn't even imagine myself talking to God like that. But that's what Israel was saying. What have we spoken against you? God was telling them, hey, quit talking and complaining to your neighbor. Come and talk to me, the source, the one who can change your life, your circumstances. Come talk to me, not your neighbor. So let me ask you this. When you're going through a problem, who's the first person you run to? Is it Jesus? Is it yourself? It can be difficult to admit that we might be doing something wrong against God. I know the thought of saying harsh words or complaining against God seems extreme. But friends, it can happen in subtle ways because it starts to get buried in our heart. Let me give you some examples. Maybe you're angry or being harsh with God because your spouse or, or child died and you don't understand why God would take them. You have become critically ill and you're angry at God. You were born maybe with a disability and you're saying, my life is not fair. Why do I have to live with this problem? Lord, how can you do this to me? God, why aren't you healing me? Maybe you've been battling battle after batter, battle and you're feeling tired, angry because you feel God hasn't been fair to you. And you see everyone else around you looking happy. You feel God has, hasn't been faithful. So you want to give up on him and say, I'm done. You ever been there? Maybe this is how you feel today beat down by life, defeated, angry with God, no help, feel God isn't near you. And your relationship now is becoming dull and fading. This was the case for the first group. Life wasn't easy and it seemed unfair 
and they lost hope in God. They were anger, angry and they questioned his faithfulness and love. And because of this, they compromised their integrity. They disobeyed God's laws. They defiled his altar. They became flippant, apathetic, lost their fear of God and blamed him for everything that was going wrong in their lives. See, when we lose our fear or awe, when we become defeated and angry with God, it makes it very easy to give up on God. And it becomes easier and easier to compromise on our non-negotiables in life. And we forget and we don't believe what the true God is. We forget how blessed we are because of who God is and what he has done for us. So let's look at the harsh words that they said in verses 14 through 15. It says, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance and that we have walked as mourners before the Lord of hosts? So now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. So the second difference you can write down is they lost perspective of God and became self-centered. 14, you have said it is useless to serve God. What profit is it that we have kept his ordinance? See, their perspective of God was be a good person, do good acts, go through the motions. But then they also felt that God was obligated to serve them and that they should profit, that they should become wealthy, that they should have the homes, that they should have the food. But what they weren't willing to do is change. They didn't want to change how the priests were dishonoring God and misleading the people. Offering bad sacrifices to God, marrying pagan women and being unfaithful, withholding ties that go to the temple and just going through the motions and pretending to be mournful for their sin. See, their perspective stopped them from giving God their very best, but still wanted blessings. So when the blessings don't come, they blame and say it's useless to serve him. Friends, God will never, ever be in our debt. So how easy though is it for our perspective to become distorted when we don't see the blessings in our life? We think just like the Jewish people. I'm a good person. I could do good acts, go through the motions, and God owes me something. But I would challenge the thought and ask you, have you made God more of a ritual? Have you just come, sing, pray, hear a message and go home? We want a cozy, comfortable God. We want a preacher to motivate rather than confront our sin. And when I don't see God help me with my problems, I complain that God never helps me, but I'm not willing to give my all and follow his ways. 
So I become either angry or apathetic and that it's useless to follow God. I give up and then I search the world for the happiness that it can give me. When you look throughout the whole Old Testament, God was constantly telling the Israelites, stay close to me. You want blessings? You want to be a blessed nation? Stay close to me. Give me your all and I will pour my blessings out upon you. But if you don't, if you don't and you want to do it your way, then you will be separated from me. You'll be separated from the blessings that I could put upon you. And I'm not just talking about blessings of money. I'm talking about blessings that when I'm weak, when I'm discouraged, I got the joy of the Lord in my heart. That's the blessings of God, not these temporal items. It's what is my heart filled? It is filled with the Holy Spirit. I got joy and Lord, I will continue to see you walk me through. That's the blessings that we have from our God Almighty. But at the core of their complaining was them thinking that they could do a better job and that they didn't need God. Have you told God that before? That I can do better? I think first thought would be no, no way. But let me ask you, Have you thought maybe your actions are saying it? Let me give you some examples. When we're living a self-centered life and not giving your best and all to God, you're telling him, I can do it better than you. When I'm never praying or seeking God's will for my life, I'm telling God, hey, I know the direction for my life. I can do this way better than you. I don't worry, I got this. When I'm not in God's word learning and trying to grow in my understanding, I'm trying to get deep with God. I'm telling God, I don't need your help. I don't need your guidance in my life. So now we have to ask ourselves, how do we need to let God know we need him? By our actions and drawing close to him is how we tell God we need him. Let me explain to you. I get up early in the morning before my kids are awake just to sit before God. I pray, I read his word, and I listen for him to speak to me because I need him to guide all of my life. I need him to be in my decisions that I make. I need him to be in my speech. I need him to be in the meetings that I have with people. I need him to be in my marriage. I need him to be in how I raise my kids. I need him to be in my ministry. I need him right now as I proclaim the word right now. I need him. I need him when I'm tired. I need him when I'm hurting. I need him when I'm discouraged and losing hope. But there's another reason why I get up early. It's because it reminds me that I am nothing apart from God. I need him to know how much I need him. 
because I'm nothing. So how are you showing God you need him today? Verse 15, it goes on to say, so now we call the proud blessed for those who do wickedness are raised up. They even tempt God and go free. So before we just kind of bag on them, right? It's easy to do. It's kind of easy to say like, whew, they're horrible people. Let's understand their logic. First, they see proud people not doing it God's way, but it's working and they're getting blessed. Their land is oppressed. They have little food, drought, little money, and they have to walk mournfully before God because of sin. So the question now that pops up is why would they want to keep walking with God when they feel this heaviness of serving him? It's just holding them back. It's boring. It feels depressing. And I still have nothing to show for it. So what good does it do for me not to sin and follow you? Because if we don't obey, we have consequences. But the proud and wicked, they keep prospering. And don't you say you're a just God? Then why are you not stopping it? Aren't you the God who hates evil? Well, hey, if proud and being wicked gets me the house, it gets me the food, it gets me the money and it's fun, then sign me up because it's better to be wicked and it's useless to serve God. But the truth of the matter is that they were actually saying that the cost of serving God was not worth the reward. And these are real feelings that we have to wrestle with as believers and non-believers. Is serving God useless? Is serving worth the reward? It's okay to wrestle with those things. Just don't stay in it too long. Maybe you feel like the Christian life is just too hard. Or I always fail when I try to serve Christ because I can't keep up or live up to his standards. Maybe Jesus is just too big of a sacrifice for me. I want to have fun with my friends and coworkers. Why? Because I only live once and I'm going to make the best out of my life. And I say, go for it. I want a luxurious lifestyle and focus on my career. And you know what? I will do whatever it takes at whatever cost. But ask yourself, would you do the same for Christ? Would you give him the same effort? Would you have the same attitude towards Christ? Would you serve him at whatever cost? Now, I'm not trying to speak harshly about the world or even you, and I'm not trying to, to condemn. But what I but what I want us is to realize is that we should be looking at the world and be saying, I don't want what the world offers because it's only temporal happiness. Yes, it looks tempting and it can bring a lot of pleasure, but friends, it'll also be deceiving and full of wickedness. 
because it only offers temporal happiness. Now, before I lose you, <laughs> everyone's like, ah. Now, before I lose you, and you're supposed to, st- you're thinking to yourself, oh, man, what does he want me to live like a caveman? I can't have anything. No, that's not what I'm saying. I pray blessings upon you. But my point is this. When you live a self-centered life and you think material items will bring you happiness instead of building your life and happiness around Christ, then the world and devil has deceived you. When we see people prospering that have turned their backs on God, it should not surprise us. Friends, the devil tempted Jesus. He said, hey, I will give you all of this. But Jesus said, no, my reward of saving my people, that's what I'm keeping my eye on. I'm keeping my eye on the reward and that's to save people. He stayed the course. So you have to be careful because the devil, he'll throw some bait out. He'll give you that big old steak like we talked about at men firing meat, right? That big, just mm, brisket, whatever. And he'll get you to think that you're lacking in life or that your life is boring and dull. He'll do anything to distract you with this temporal happiness and anything to keep your eyes off the eternal blessings and your reward. He wants you to have the wrong perspective of Christ. He wants you to be angry at him. Why? Because then you'll say it's useless to serve Christ. See, the Jews lost perspective. And they became so focused on how God should give them these temporal material blessings, they couldn't see that they were missing out on the spiritual and eternal blessings that God wanted them to have. Material items, wealth will come and go. But when the measuring stick we use to determine his greatness is based on our satisfaction, then friends, that's arrogant towards God. We serve God out of our love and reverence for him, not what I can get from him. And too many Christians are willing to to not give their all because it means they have to give up their wants and desires. They constantly tempt God and openly sin and they don't even care if God sees and they say, oh, I love Jesus, but friends, their hearts are very far from him. They're playing roulette with God because one day God will show people what was important in life. And friends, there are gonna be a day when many people will be surprised where they spend their eternity. See, when we live a self-centered life and we chase after temporal happiness instead of chasing out of God's eternal blessings, we give the devil access to a lot of areas in our life. It will pollute our praise and worship. It will pollute our generosity, how we serve people. 
It will pollute our marriage, our family, our obedience to Christ and serving him with our all. See, serving Jesus and sacrificing now is not always gonna be fun and exciting. And we're gonna have to say no to things and stand for some things. And it's probably not gonna have this glamorous or even luxurious life, but it's preparing us for the future. It's preparing us for the reward. We're not living for today. We're living for the assurance of knowing where we will spend eternity. Praise God Almighty. Don't lose perspective because temporal moments and things are not worth your eternity. And praise God, this is not where the sermon ends. <laughs> praise God that we serve a merciful, gracious God who loves us, that chases after us, yes. that says, I, you are mine. And that's where we're gonna start going right now. We're gonna see what our true God is. So I have, I wanna have you guys read 16 through 18 with me. It says, then those who feared the Lord spoke to one another and the Lord listened and heard them. So a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. They shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts, on the day that I make them my jewels and I will spare them as a man spares his own son who serves him. Then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. So I, what I wanna do is look at four different characteristics now that the faithful, what they did to stay strong. Because this group of people, they all went up against the same problems that the first group went up to, against. But here's the difference. They didn't have the doubt. They didn't blame God. They didn't keep sinning. They didn't lose perspective. They didn't say it was useless to serve God. They said the reward of me keeping my faith is worth it. So the first one is this, they feared God. Verse 16, then those who feared the Lord. I gave you what this definition is, so I don't think I need to go over it. So if it's up there, you could kind of just jot down. If not, come see me. Number two, they encouraged one another in their faith. Like we did last night at the fire meet. They came and encouraged each other. We need to strengthen one another with our faith. We need people. <laughs> we need people to call us out. We need people to say, hey, brother, you're not doing it right. I think your life is going on a decline. Hey, sister, doesn't look like your life is going that well right now but let me encourage you, keep your eyes upon Christ. Keep your eyes on the reward. We encourage each other in our faith. Hebrews 10, 23 through 25 says this, 
Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembly of ourselves together as in the manner of some, but exhorting one another and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Third thing is that they meditated on his name. Verse 16, for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name, they remembered who he was and what he has done for them. They kept his promises close to their heart and they drew close to him. The fourth, they gave God their best. Colossians 3, 23 through 24, and whatever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not to men knowing that from the Lord you will receive the reward of the inheritance for you serve the Lord Christ. Can you say today that you give Jesus your best? Or maybe you've grown a little apathetic, weary, or complacent. This past Friday, I got to see someone live their best. I had to go and bury my brother-in-law. He was 46 with three children. And as we stood there and listened to the people talking about this man, how he stayed close to his faith, how he loved his family, how he was a hard worker, all of these things we got to hear And we got to hear the part of his faith, but we know he stayed the course and now his reward is in heaven. That's the assurance that we have as believers in Christ. So four ways now that God is either faithful or rewards us. The first one is God listens. Verse 16, it says, and the Lord listened and heard them. Now, John 9.31 says, now we know that God does not hear sinners, but if anyone is a worshiper of God and does his will, he hears him. So I'm not gonna get into the theology of this, but let's just break that down real quick. This is basically saying that God does not listen to a sinner's prayer in the same way he listens to a prayer of a believer. And the more that you come pure before God and draw near to him, the more effective your prayers will be because he listens to you. The second thing is a book of remembrance. Verse 16 says, so a book of remembrance was written before him for those who fear the Lord and who meditate on his name. This right here was a book of remembrance for me. God would use this little journal, just a little journal, and God would use this in such a powerful way. And that's the reason I stand here today. 
In this book, I write things such as goals, dreams, and visions I feel that God has put on my heart. Things I need to keep praying for. Then I also write times where I've seen God just move in huge ways in my life, in my friend's life, in other believers' life. And I also write prayer requests in there. And as I looked at it, I saw all these prayer requests that God was faithful. So I opened it up as I'm sitting at my desk and I just started reading. And I started to go through and I noticed that God was with me all along. I saw how faithful he had been. And I grabbed my pen and I just started crossing out all these things that I was praying for. I started seeing the visions and dreams that he put on my heart. I was able to cross them out. God was faithful through the whole entire time. He blessed me. And as humans, we forget and lose perspective of what God has done and who he is. See, I forgot and lost perspective, but God remembered and reminded me how much he loves me and how faithful he will continue to be to me. And after this is when I saw great victories. After this is when I started seeing the visions and dreams starting to just move forward even more. So you might be asking yourself though, hey, that's cool. But what is the book of remembrance? And I think the better question to ask yourself is this, will I be in God's book of remembrance? Who will be in this book? Those who feared and meditated on his name. The people that are called his. People that are precious like jewels. People he will spare. People that said that serving Jesus is worth the reward. The third thing is he will call you his. Verse 17, they shall be mine, says the Lord of hosts. Hosts, does God look at you as his? That's a question that you need to ask yourself today. And the fourth, discern between the righteous and the wicked. Verse 18, then you shall again discern between the righteous and the wicked, between one who serves God and one who does not serve him. There's gonna be a day, my friends, that Jesus comes back and he's gonna judge his people. And he's gonna separate the wicked and the righteous. Who's the wicked? Those are the ones that are arrogant against God. Those are the ones that have contempt for God. Those are the ones that are seeking temporal happiness. Those are the ones that are living for self. Those are the ones that have turned their back on Christ. But who are the righteous? Those who feared the Lord, who practice reverent speech towards God, 
They had the right posture towards God with their attitude, their mind and heart. They served God with their very best. They, will faith, they were faithful. They lived to serve him. They refused the wicked world. The question is on this judgment day when he separates the wicked and the righteous. That question is going to come up. Was Jesus worth the reward? Malachi implores us to commit to God and watch for the return of Christ. And a question that I would ask you as we sit here today, will you spend your eternity with the wicked or the righteous? And if you don't know, I would ask yourself these three questions. Would God rebuke me because I have become complacent, apathetic, self-centered, and I have stopped fearing the Lord? The second question I would ask, would Jesus be proud and remember me because I fear him? I meditate on his name. I stay the course and I give him my all and best. And the third and most important is serving Jesus Christ worth the reward to you. I asked Pastor Chip to play a song called, I have decided to follow Jesus, no turning back no turning back. Today, maybe you're trying to just kind of kick the can and say, what is this? What is this whole Jesus thing? And you're thinking about giving your life over to Christ and serve him with your all. I would say, find a pastor and let them help you. Help you to understand what the reward is all about. Maybe you need to say, Lord, I'm sorry and repent that I have become apathetic towards you, that I have become so focused on myself that I have just given you my leftovers. And I would say, use that time to recommit. And there's, there's maybe some of you that say, I believe but one foot's in and one foot's out. And that old life is calling you back, wanting you, that temptation is calling you back. And I would say to you, stay the course. Hop back over because the reward is greater than anything in this world and what it can offer you. So what I'm gonna ask you is to stand and let's encourage each other in the Lord today. Let's stand, let's worship God like we actually mean it. Let's posture our hearts and our minds towards God. And as a body of Christ, let's call out to him. Let's encourage each other because I see my brother worshiping God. You see your sister worshiping in God and that encouraged me to all wanna worship God even more. Let's encourage each other. I have decided 
to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus no turning back no turning back I've decided I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided to follow Jesus I have decided turning back no turning back is serving Jesus worth the reward absolutely may the Lord bless you as he go through your week and I pray that this doesn't just stop here I pray that you take this with you and you say, Lord, search my heart. Search my heart, oh Lord. So may you be blessed. We'll see you on Wednesday and Sunday. Thank you. Thank you for listening to the Portland Christian Center podcast. If you'd like to hear more or learn more about us, visit our website at pcctoday.com or join us for our live streams at the 9 or 11 a.m. at live.pcctoday.com.